the old world is ending, and we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the structural problems in our world and the real solutions that we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse into a collaborative and sustainable futuristic society that serves all life. You may think it's an impossible dream, but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Zachary Marlowe, Matt Holton, and Amanda Smith. And together, when we can move past this economic absurdity to come together and actualize our collective potential to create something completely new, we are Moneyless Society. If machines produce everything we need, the outcome will depend on how things are distributed. Everyone can enjoy a life of luxurious leisure if the machine-produced wealth is shared, or most people can end up miserably poor if the machine owners successful lobby against wealth redistribution. So far, the trend seems to toward the second option, with technology driving ever-increasing inequality. This is one of the last messages that the late Stephen Hawking left us with before he passed away. Automation is inevitable. And in the mechanistic logic of our current operating system, the consequences will be catastrophic. With enormous job losses, whole sectors replaced with machines that will unquestionably move with precision to carry out the will of the system. But if we think about this for even a moment, it becomes clear how absurd it is that such marvelous technology in the hands of the market can only be interpreted as a crisis. This is the smoking gun. With even partial automation, the potential for full employment becomes impossible. And it crashes the whole notion of having to earn your right to live in a world where our needs are met automatically. This technology shouldn't be another force oppressing us, restricting our ability to meet our own needs. It can free us from servitude altogether. The point of any machine should be to save labor, right? That's how we see automation as one of the great hopes to obsolete this unnecessary way of life altogether and free humanity to do all the things that machines can't do. Our guest today, who goes by the name CW, is a member of the Moneyless Society group who started a company that's using robotics with the intention to literally pay people to do nothing, if you can believe it. Using this technology on a small scale to stop waiting for the world of today to fall apart and start building the world we want. The whole thing that got me into all of this, I was just kind of studying problems, you know, that we have in our society, particularly uh, with economic disparity. And I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I don't like that I have to work so hard and other people don't. You know, I was a kid. I was like early teens and it just seemed unfair. And I never accepted that whole, well, life's not fair. Okay, so don't we kind of control life collectively as a society? Can't we fix things like that so I, I just started studying into okay well why is it like that why is it that disparity because I don't like it <laughs> and eventually I start seeing the reasons and I start thinking okay well all of these reasons do have solutions there are other ways we can do it this is not a force of nature this is something that we collectively have created as a system and society so why don't we just change it and you know everyone always says oh yeah you know we're as a, that's what the politicians do. That's what, you know, these these job creators and these companies do. They're, they're making the world a better place. And 
for a while I sat back and said okay I can be patient I'll wait then by the time I was in my 20s I'm like you guys are taking a really long time and then we started working backwards it felt and I'm like yeah this is getting really really annoying and the whole time I'm studying things on my own and eventually it was just like okay I'm I'm like 25 now and the world is not getting better if anything it's getting worse I am not going to have the world I want by waiting and letting the people in charge take care of it because they're not like it's simply not happening and that's when I started studying uh, it's studying deeper into human psychology and human behavior and then it's like oh well the people in charge of this world have no incentive to make it a better world for people like you and me because first off it's a great world for them already and it doesn't become a better world for them by making it a better world for us in fact with the current system for it to be a better world for us it has to technically be a worse world for them and it's like okay well they're not gonna they're not gonna do anything so I guess we have to I guess I guess if I want to live in a what would be a better world for me I've got to make it a better world for me and so yeah it just became a matter of I got tired of waiting I probably spent since I first started kind of studying the topic I, I spent 10 years just sitting back and waiting for the powers that be to to get on the ball and then I realized that they weren't even trying to get on the ball and had no reason to try to get on the ball I grew up reading a lot of science fiction and um, really immersing myself in that world you know a lot of Isaac Asimov I remember one of the first books I ever read in my grandmother's house was this book from the 50s about robots and it was just all these different robots and, and all these different things that people in the 50s were dreaming about robots doing to ease these tasks and to make things easier for us and you know even in that book like there's robots you know uh, tending to space stations and growing food and and that just you know that sets a spark in your imagination and it's it's amazing to me today that we basically live in that world and i think e even even much further beyond what they could have imagined so i i want to ask you um wh what is the state of automation today you know what are our actual capacities where are we with this uh technology roughly 80 percent, as far as uh the the jobs that are performed by humans and this includes pretty much all jobs the number of jobs that are currently being performed by humans that we have the technical capacity to replace with robotics is somewhere around 80 percent and now that doesn't mean that we we have the robots built uh the the analogy i like to use is legos if you want to build something out of legos then you have to get all the pieces together so like if you want to build an electronic crane like a that you that can pick things up and you want to build it out of legos well when legos first came out the technic side of legos which had all the gears and motors and everything didn't exist yet so you couldn't really build a crane out of legos you you i mean i guess maybe it could be manually operated but ultimately you could not build the crane once they had the motors and stuff then yeah you could build a crane as long as you had the pieces you just had to take the time to put the pieces together in the right way a little bit of development there right now to automate about 80 percent of all human jobs we have the pieces we have the correct technologies we have the correct types of sensors the the correct types of you know uh, uh actuators so so you know linear actuators uh stepper motors things like that to get the right kinds of precise movements the right kinds of repetition and most importantly we have the level of programming technology to do things like machine learning which is where as long as i build a robot 
that can perform a task, such as an assembly line task. Uh, if I have a computer watch a human operate that robot and the human, you know, figures out how to use that robot to perform that task, I don't have to actually tell the computer what to do. I can literally tell the computer, watch this human, watch how they use the robot arm. So as long as the human hand does not touch whatever is being manipulated, as long as it's all done by the robotic arm, the uh, machine learning algorithm can watch a human do it and learn how to do it directly that way. And eventually the human can take a step back and the computer's just like, I got this and starts operating the robot arm. And it's not quite artificial intelligence in the sense of like an iRobot, uh, obviously Asimov, we have to worry about uh, having good work environments for the robots because they could get angry and kill us all. But uh, the simple solution, you, you don't give AI to a robot arm. You don't need to. A machine learning algorithm, it learns how to do the task and then it does the task forever. Wait, forever do, and ever. <laughs> do humans not treat workers well or something? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my favorite thing about automation. We we can I I can I can kick one of the robots, uh like the we got a laser back there. I can go back there, I can kind of kick it and tell it, you know, stupid laser, you're doing a horrible job. It'll still work just as well. It, it responds absolutely well, it doesn't respond at all to positive or negative criticism. So I can treat it however I want. It's the perfect employee for any anyone who who's a big fan of capitalism should see that as the perfect employee. I could even go sexually harass it. No problem. No, no issues whatsoever there. <laughs> so, um, you say we were at, at 80% and I, I, um, actually we, we, uh, met in the moneyless society Facebook group. Somebody posted this, um, very anxious sort of post. that was like, Hey, a lot of people here are saying like, you know, we can automate all these jobs and things like that, but we're not there yet. You know, we can't <laughs> automate uh, textile jobs. We can't, we, there are still sweatshops all over the world. And I just oh, saw yeah, you the... in the comments and you were just like, Nope, <laughs> wrong. Nope. You're wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, totally wrong. Full of shit. Nope. You were just bossing this whole chat <laughs> and just saying like, like all of these things that we, people say we can't do that we can do. So, uh, it's not commonly done. It's not like the, you're you're not going to find. Well, actually, I, I should correct myself. You are going to find an automated fast food restaurant now because they opened up one in California that makes all the burgers through automation. Humans just have to load the ingredients and that's pretty easy to replace them there. But uh, I, I like to use Flippy as an argument. because Some people see on there's Facebook ads for Flippy, the uh, the burger flipping robot. And some people say and believe, and I kind of do too, that Flippy is literally only to scare fast food workers into accepting lower wages by making them believe that they'll be replaced by a robot. So, but the problem is that those are the examples we see uh, as in the general public. And it's stuff like Flippy is a six axis robotic arm with a fry basket and a spatula attached to the end. It's the stupidest design you would ever imagine for an automated kitchen assistant because it's designed to mimic what a human does in a kitchen. That's kind of what we're seeing right now is we keep seeing these very public displays of trying to make a humanoid robot to perform a human task like flipping a burger. Meanwhile, if I wanted to flip a burger as uh, someone who studies robotics, uh, off the top of my head, um, I had to have a, a mesh metal conveyor system that just passes the burger over a flame, over a flame. So I now now I got flame grilled burgers. Now I now I got you know really good ones, and then at the end 
the the mesh conveyor rolls over and that causes the patty to just by gravity alone flip onto another conveyor which goes over the rest of the grill and cooks both sides done i don't need flippy i don't need a robot those are two conveyor belts running off of brushless dc motors i could probably build the whole thing for a couple hundred bucks at the most and the failure rate i got two motors involved that's it that thing could probably run for a decade without without any issues whatsoever that's where the real trick is with robotics is you don't build a humanoid robot to perform a job the way a human is performing it. You look at the goal and you try and decide what machine would make that the best. And you remove the human from the equation altogether. You rebuild the factory from the ground up with no humans in mind, like they did with some of the docks in Germany that are automated docks that unload cargo ships. A human is not allowed on those docks because it would slow down the machines because they'd have to work around the humans. So the humans just stay out. <laughs> and it, it's one of the most efficient systems for loading and unloading a ship. You're doing a great job of basically explaining how our tendency to anthropomorphize robotics and AI is standing in our way. Like we can't get the image of ourselves out of our heads enough to make the machines that can replace us and automate labor in a way that will be freed up to do things to our highest potential. It, 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 it leads into why we're, we're afraid for them to take our place per se, because knowing how we behave, it's like we expect they're going to behave in the same way. But that, that's kind of a, an abstract approach. That's, that's, another, that's another thing we have to uh, conquer is that paradigm shift where we, we accept that robots are not us. And while we can program them, as you said earlier, they can be applied neutrally. They're not the only, and, and it, it's, it's another form of propaganda, like, like, oh no, they're going to take over. They're going to kill us all. They're going to get mad and, and, you know, rebel or whatever. And that's just Hollywood bullshit. That's just another one of those tactics to yep. keep laborers in place. So the, yes, we, we already have automation replacing human tasks that we once thought would have to be done with these humanoid robots. So we have the examples, but we don't look at that and say, okay, well, let's apply that concept to everything else. So specifically one, uh, the uh, clothing argument, clothing and food are, are things that uh, I, I hear people say a lot that we can't automate or we can't automate yet, that we're not there yet, specifically with those things that require kind of delicacy, they require precision. When, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen videos of machines performing heart surgery, you know, and we, oh, we yeah. talked before you were like, that's What's nothing. the mean they did surgery on a grape? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did surgery on a grape. <laughs> and uh, I, I got to tell you, so many people were blown away by doing surgery on a grape. I was not. Surgery on a grape is you add two more sets of planetary gears to your stepper motor output and you make the thing, the whole framework of the robot a little bit more stable so it has less wiggle. And yeah, you can do surgery on a grape. Uh, if you could if you could make the blade fine enough, you could do surgery on a, on a cell. You could do surgery however small you want. It's just uh, motor output. And if I want to do surgery on a planet, then I just have to have a ship big enough, but the same concept of well here's a stepper motor on a robot joint and it causes this arm to bend a certain number of degrees everything scales perfectly so as far as precision and delicacy yeah that's that's a matter of planetary gears to turn a one rotation into one tenth of a rotation and look now i just made it more delicate and more accurate just by adding a few gears to it that's the the reality of robotics is 
there is no limitation based on a human's delicacy or a human's intricacy or a human's motor skills because quite frankly the robots have us beat on motor skills ever since we invented the motor a ro robots have beat us on motor skills uh, a robot doesn't sneeze a robot driving a car doesn't blink and miss the kid running out into the street or have the same latency between eyesight the brain processing the signal the brain making a decision and the brain sending signals to the muscles in the leg and the and the leg physically moving to press the brake we will never be able to hit the brake as fast as a computer can so all of the arguments that are performance based that's just pure ego uh, robots outperform us in every category we can imagine and if you give me a category robots don't outperform us in physically already i could probably go build one right now that would outperform us in that category the only limitations the only thing that humans can truly do and that we really need to embrace is number one we can design uh, computers can design to an extent, but we're the ones who can truly innovate in a way that computers cannot innovate yet. And number two, uh, we can be motivated. A computer will only do what you tell it to do because it has no ambition to do anything. But a human can look at a situation and say, I want this done. This is why. These are my reasons. These are my feelings. And, and actually have that motivation to to create something have a reason to create something the machine is a tool it's not going to replace humanity where we're not going to have unless unless someone does something really dumb in the field of ai we're not going to have the matrix because why would a computer want a planetary sized version of itself that manages all the reasons why the computer doesn't care the computer has no feelings no ambition no morals no anything that's all the humans. The computer is just a tool and people have, have to stop being afraid to use a tool to perform a task to make their lives easier. Because that's what we're talking about. Automation, it, makes, it can make our life easier. It could turn the 10 hour work week into a five hour work week, or I'm sorry, the 40 hour work week into a 10 hour work week, then the 10 hour work week into a five hour work week. And then eventually to the point where we have to do so little to keep the gears running that we, we just get to do what we want. We get to do whatever we want and the computers take care of the rest. And they, the only reason they're doing it is because we told them to, and that's fine. That d there doesn't need to be any greater purpose in the eyes of the computer. Well, so it, se it seems like uh, technology, it's neutral, you know? I mean, well, it, 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 it's neutral, but it's contingent on the value system that we use it with. So I, I keep saying this, that, uh, Basically, even medicine and food in the hands of this system is a weapon. And, you know, automation right now is a, an incredible weapon that's pushing people out of their jobs. Like the, the, the Luddites, the original Luddites, they weren't against the machines because they thought they were possessed by a ghost or something. You know, they weren't just objectively against them. They weren't just like, no, there's dignity and honor in doing this the hard way. They were against the machines because they were putting them out of work. They were putting them out of their livelihood. And as it stands, technological unemployment is set to just wipe out millions of jobs. As soon as they figure out how to make it more, more you know, efficient in, in the logic of the market, they're going to do it, you know, uh, and, and millions of people are going to lose their jobs. And I think a lot of people are afraid of this. And it, it's they we're so uh, 
hungry, we're so deprived and desperate and dependent that we can't really see what a great thing this could be. And I think that the overall people who are you know manning the machines and programming them, the machines of, of the, the economic system itself, can't really think beyond that. They can't upgrade their software to keep up with our incredible uh, hardware capabilities. In a world where Right now, 80% of jobs can be automated. The only reason we're not racing towards that is because the whole economy is based on production. And if people aren't able to buy things and spend money back into the economy and circulate it so they can end up you know, going, trickling up into the hands of the richest people, the, the people who own those means of production, then they there's no other- They can shut it down. Yeah. There we go. And they're, they're, not gonna, they're not going to build these machines knowing that the, the the people who who control everything are not dumb enough to kill all the jobs with these machines knowing that the people who work those jobs are also the very consumers that create the income to begin with uh, so it's a delicate process to slowly replace them with machines because you also have to find busy work for them to do to justify them going to work because you have to force them to go to work so that they can get paid so that they can continue to buy things. But at the same time, you don't want them working on an assembly line because that's inefficient and that doesn't make you as much money. So you want to find pointless jobs that they can be performative work, uh, working for the sake of working, they, then you can give them money. Then meanwhile, you have a machine that's working 10 times as hard as they did when they were building things. So you're making even more product, you're making even more profit while keeping the same number of work hours. And it's where we get things like, uh, oh, there's there's so many examples. But I, I, ultimately, why I tell people when the, whenever someone says, yeah, but you know, machines are going to kill jobs, I say, oh, so jobs are the most important thing. Uh, Ultimately, we should halt technological progress for the sake of jobs. Well, by that logic, we should actually reverse any technological progress that would create jobs uh, by reversing it. So step one, let's get rid of tractors, because let me tell you, we're going to need a lot of people. We need a lot of people if we get rid of tractors. Corn harvesting, you know, I, I'm, I'm living in Indiana right now. Uh, I got to tell you, man, there's a lot of cornfields. We use a lot of ethanol. Uh, and if we had people out pulling those, pulling that corn off the stalks by hand, we'll go right back to the 60 hour work week. There won't be an unemployed person on this planet and we will get that corn and we will maintain the system we have right now off of pure labor and everyone will have a job. And anyone who does not think anyone who doesn't hear that and go, oh yeah, that's perfect. That's what we want. And no one hears that and thinks that they should not be saying, oh man, we, we gotta, we gotta stop automating factories because they already understand through the examples that we have today that automating menial work and getting menial labor away from humans is a good thing because no one is going to say, oh yeah, you know, I'd love to get back out into that cornfield and shuck corn for $5 an hour, which is probably more than we could pay you if, uh, if we were comparing the cost of all those people to the cost of a harvesting tractor, which by the way, the, the harvesting combines could be ridiculously easy to automate as well. <laughs> and we, we automate cars that have to drive around pedestrians. So it's pretty easy to, to harvest corn by automation at this point. In order for things to be made better for, um, say 90% of the population, the 2% of the population, things would have to get worse for them. And so, of course, removing yeah. menial labor, labor for the working class uh, would be an, a nightmare for them because another perspective to come in at it is um, without forced coercion, 
the power structures would lose all their uh -huh. power over the working class, over the masses, over the population. Like, not just in the sense that we have to labor for our money, but like we, we literally would be freed from forced coercion. Like, we would just, an analogy might, or an yes. example might be like, we might just be roaming around. Like, what do we do with our time? What do we do with ourselves? Twilling our thumbs. <laughs> and, and I think that one of the, uh, one, one of the, the false um, narratives that are floating around there, um, is 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 the concept that we would just descend into chaos because we wouldn't have structure and routine and, and this menial work to revert to every single day. And it's funny that they're afraid of that because their fear of that absolutely is one of the things stopping them from doing certain things they could do. And it's a completely false fear based on a, a misunderstanding of human nature. Uh, you ask anyone who's actually studied anthropology, for instance, or, or sociology for that matter, uh, how, how do they handle it when they hear people say the phrase human nature? Because I got to tell you, I've, I've never heard human nature as a term followed by something that was human nature. It's usually, uh, oh, greed is human nature. No, it isn't. Laziness is human nature. Humans hate it and they get bored very easily. You want to drive a human insane, lock them in a room and tell them they can't do anything. But they'll, they'll get all their food and everything. It's called prison. And we don't like it for some reason, even though it's uh, perfect for laziness. You know, you just get to sit around all day. All your food is brought to you. You don't have to do anything. Isn't that the dream? If we're <laughs> such lazy, miserable, such a lazy, pathetic species that all we want to do is sit around, prison should be ideal. Yet for some reason, no one wants to go there. Funny, right? You know, it's, uh, we're not lazy. We, we get bored. We, we want to do things. Uh, we're not greedy. We're survivalists. If you tell us, hey, um, tomorrow you could not have any money or food. Of course, we're going to want to hoard money and food. It's, it's a survival tactic, but, uh, like all the, all the fears are ridiculous. And we've, we've made the steps before we used to have a 60 hour work week. Now we have a 40, we didn't descend into chaos. So why would there be any logical reason to assume that going to a 20 hour work week would be a descent into chaos? And the worst part of all of this is that they fear that, you know, they'll lose their power struggle. Well, I, I got to say one thing for the rich people. Now, granted, there's outliers. <laughs> there's plenty of people who didn't do a thing. They just were born to a family. And most of them lose their money because they don't know how to maintain that lifestyle. They don't know how to be a leader, but there actually are people who are rich, who are rich because they are leaders. And that, that might be in the sense that they're very manipulative. <laughs> it might be a very immoral <laughs> way of leadership, but they have a talent. They have a talent to rise to the top. Even if it's in because of a corrupt system, they adapted to that system. Rich people are not as stupid as a lot of us make them out to be. And I think they would do just fine in any political or socioeconomic structure. They'll do just fine. That is, they would be the, the, the ruling class, even if we did give more power to the lower class. And frankly, I don't care. I don't care if Jeff Bezos has the biggest mansion, as long as we all have houses. And the problem is that in our current system, in order for him to have the biggest mansion, we have to be without houses. If it wasn't for that, I would not care that some people had a better life as long as I had a good life. And it, that's the sort of thing that it could scale up. If an asteroid crashed into the planet 
and it was filled with iPhones and it's a weird asteroid, I know, but it's it cracks open and outpours iPhones and TVs and electric cars and just basically tons of resources pour out of this asteroid and have just been dumped on the planet. Even though suddenly the number of resources has massively increased, we would not increase the amount of money in circulation in response to it. Uh, and the biggest example of that is our population has increased massively. People are a commodity traded by companies and utilized as a resource to generate profit for the company. We are a resource as a labor force. But despite the fact that people are born constantly, we are not pumping additional money into the economy to support the trading of that resource, even though money is supposed to be at its core a representative barter system for the passing of resources and there's supposed to be enough money to pass around all the resources and there just isn't especially because again we are the resource <laughs> and they do not every time a person you know grows up old enough to get a job they don't print an extra year's worth of salary and even if they did then we would just ruin that with artificial inflation but circling back around the biggest thing i look at one of the best examples is walmart so Walmart, let's say Walmart has four cashiers and those four cashiers are running four cash registers. And this is a 100% practical, you could do this. So you got a grocery store and you got four cashiers, you're paying each of them, I don't know, let's say 40,000 a year. Let's, let's keep all the numbers simple. 40,000 a year and they're working 40 hours a week. So you decide to get those U-scan terminals. And now you got four registers and you only need one cashier to basically manage the U-scan terminals that the customers are using. You keep all your prices the same because, well, why would, why would you uh, give the customer a discount for being a cashier? Uh, you don't have to, so why would you? Of course, but uh, the customers swipe their goods, they pay for it, so you have four cash registers that are still producing the amount of money that they were before. As a company, you are at a, at a net balance of zero because of this change. But then you fire three cashiers. So now you got one cashier working 40 hours a week making $40,000, but you just saved yourself $120,000 by firing the other three. So what if instead of firing those other three and harming the workforce and frankly, uh, hurting yourself indirectly because now that's $120,000 that consumers don't have to spend on your goods. What if you cut everyone to 10 hours a week, those four cashiers? So now uh, you still have a 40 hours a week labor force to run those four register, those four U-scan terminals, same as, as you would have if you fired them. Keep paying them, uh, them 40000 each. Keep paying them their full salary, even though they're working 10 hours a week. So everyone's wages just got quadrupled. You're going to have some very happy workers. You're going to have workers who have better lives. You're going to have people working 10 hours a week and making a full-time living off of it, the same money they were making before this change. And your balance is still at zero. You haven't lost any money as a company. In fact, arguably, you could say you you gained a little bit of money because uh, by lowering your workforce demands, uh, you need less paper towels in the break room, little things that add up. Because if you did this across the board, if you had stocking machines, and so you got to 
cut your stocking labor down to 10 hours a week as well for every person who works uh, stocking the shelves. And you just do that across the board. You won't lose a dime. You will not lose a single dime. And well, what yet, about the investment that it takes to, to ah, install the uh, automation? I promise I'm about to get to that and I'm going to, I'm going to make some people, I'm going to make some people angry with that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, the, the long-term cost and stability of that system is exactly the same as it was beforehand. So we could, we could have a 10 hour work week right now. That could be a step is just cut everyone's work week in half and pay them the same amount of money. The biggest reason that we can't do that right now is even though you didn't have a, a, a loss or increase of profits, there is what's called potential profit that you have lost because by firing those three workers, you had a potential profit gain of 120,000 a year. And when 60, 70% of your company's profits go to investors, so that's 60,000 a year to the investors who can now sue you for 60,000 a year if you don't fire those people because that's what they would have gained if you did. And as investors, they have a right to sue you for making horrible decisions that, that take money out of their pocket. And that would be considered a horrible decision because, hey, you didn't have to give those people raises. The market, the, the market standard for the cashier position has not changed. So that's what it ultimately boils down to is regardless of what a company wants to do, an investor gets to make the final call and those guys have absolutely no incentive for that cashier to work 10 hours instead of 40. They're getting the same amount of money no matter what, no matter what happens, uh, they're doing just fine and they will continue to make whatever profit the company makes. Even if the workforce gets diminished, even if the buying power of the consumer index gets diminished, they're still making their profit. So why would they let something like that change? I just want to say real quick that that was a, that was an epic fucking rant. Um, I'm a connoisseur of epic rants. I, I uh, talk a lot myself. You're good at this. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. We, we've been really uh, uh, looking forward to this episode. I, I just got I got I got one thing to pick up on. You said basically like I don't care if Jeff Bezos is still the richest bloke in the world, and you know their lives are still going to be better. And I think that uh, you know honestly, if it's if if it will give everybody in the world housing, I don't really care what happens. You know, I think a lot of people they're hung up on this this vindication of like oh well, we should punish these people for you know, what they've done to the world when I, I just kind of see them as, as first of all, they're fools. They don't know what va is valuable. They don't know what is good in life. You know, say Jeff Bezos is, um, say we, you know, we, we free the world through automating away all this pointless, boring, horrible, painful servitude. And, you know, we're free to do what we want. We're free to explore. We're free to uh, create and invent and make music and, you know, uh, motivate and, and love and do all these things that only humans can do. You know, say Jeff Bezos still has the biggest house in the world. Who's going to man it? You know, Jeff, you're going to, you're alone in that big house. You know, you might, you might have a big, you might have a bunch of things, but that's not what makes life good. That's not what makes life worth living. I will help him automate that house and I'll, I'll make, I'll make furniture for him. I don't, I, I am fine with it. And cause you're right. He will, he will discover things that value that he will value more. And yeah, I think, it, I think when, when those people, you know, like basically Everybody has everything to gain in this, you know. I yeah. think the, the the narrative that like uh, redistributing wealth or you know uh, not even, it's not even redistributing wealth, it's just everybody uh, embracing it, just embracing this idea of a collaborative open commons where we all basically just update. You know, we we are pathologically obsessed with this idea of fighting progress because 
one of our core principles is this kind of Puritan idea that work is a good thing in and of itself, that it's good to suffer, that, you know, suffering is how you get closer to God or whatever, you know, the, the do what do as the market commands you to do and, and go suffer and, you know, sacrifice yourself for the economy and all this stuff. If but it's, it's just like, something you care about, it does feel good, but that's, that's the caveat there. You, it, it's, it's like it's taken out of context. So we all have everything to gain here. Even the richest person, even the richest person in the world is going to see market improvement in the quality of their life if everybody in their world is healthy, is not stressed out, is not killing each other. If the world itself is not being burned to the point where rich people need to think about real estate on Mars, you know, <laughs> that everybody <laughs> has so much to gain in this. I mean, imagine a world where everybody is, is educated, where there's no stupid people where there's no idiocy, where there's no uh, pointless frustration, where there's no lines, where you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, like when someone says, because uh, I, I hear the taxation is theft argument all the time, and um, I, I, I am in, in our current system, at least, I'm in favor of taxes because if they are spent correctly, it should be something, it's going to be something. You, like uh, I heard someone say, why should I pay for public schools uh, You know, all my life as an adult if I don't have kids? And it's like, well, first of all, you went to school, but second of all, see all those people around you, the people you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? Imagine if none of them went to school. Think of the dumbest person you've met. Now imagine everyone is like that, and that's the world you have to live in. That sounds horrible to me. I want people to be educated because I have to deal with people all the time. And it would be so great if all of them were well-educated because, frankly, a lot of them would be less annoying. <laughs> and to all the stupid people out there that I'm offending, I'm sorry that we don't have a system that was able to properly educate you because you should not be as annoying and hated as you are. So it's not your fault. I do hate you though, but it's not your fault. So, so yeah, it, it does benefit absolutely. A better society benefits all members of the society, whether they realize it or not, from the top to the bottom, absolutely. And like you talked about wealth distribution, that's a huge focus. Everyone's, oh, wealth redistribution. Wealth redistribution is playing Monopoly by the rules and then thinking that everyone will win, and that's not possible. If you want to win at Monopoly, flip the board, and then you won because you're no longer playing Monopoly. <laughs> and then you go get Ticket to Ride or Terraforming Mars or, or a, a, a good board game, and you set that game up. That's how you win Monopoly. You flip the board. and uh, Or even, um, since we're all forced to play Monopoly, I, I love saying this, uh, if you had 10 people playing Monopoly and one person has 90% of the properties, the other nine people can survive. All they have to do is keep passing money to one another. Every time one of them lands on something, everyone hand that person all the money. They'll pass go enough times. They got they got eighteen hundred dollars around, so they'll keep it going. <laughs> you you can all band together and and float, uh, no matter how how high the waves get. As long as you all stick together, you will float. It'll suck, but you'll float. <laughs> and that's uh that's kind of the thing that I believe we have to do is if you figure you know uh, what is it like three hundred fifty million Americans probably uh. Uh, 200 million of which are below the poverty line. I, I haven't looked at those statistics in a little while, but if there's 200 million people below the poverty line, uh, how much if, if each of them gave a dollar to someone and that person had $200 million, 
how many apartment buildings could you buy with $200 million? I can tell you right now it's over 200. Uh, apartment buildings are actually not all that expensive. And then once you own them, if you're not trying to make a living by owning them and you just wanted to let people live in them, couldn't you? What would be the maintenance cost per apartment per month if you bought them outright so there's no there's no investment, there's no money to pay for. Matthew, you were talking earlier about, you know, well, what about the investment in robotics? I can tell you right now, um, there's robotic arms that cost $30,000 to build. I can build one for you right now for 600 bucks. They're not expensive. They, they charge a lot for them. They're not expensive. Robotics is cheap. Automation is cheap, incredibly cheap. And the more you automate, the cheaper it gets because the first thing, yeah, they have to sell it high because, and the reason they have to sell it high is because they only sell it once. Like they, they last a long time. These are yeah. not like consumer electronics. Isn't profitable. Yeah. Consumer electronics are designed to break, to be replaced. Yeah. Like uh, when they, when they make a TV, they design that thing with the idea that it's going to break in two years. So you buy another TV, but uh, we've got, we've got satellites that are out there just floating around and they've been doing the same job under intense radiation uh, for decades. They're, they're still just chugging along. Do you think we send a, a cable repair guy up to fix uh, the satellite guy? I had to fix satellite dishes on people's property for direct TV all the time. It's because we made them cheap and we made them designed to break so that you'd have to get new ones. But you think that they're flying up there and servicing the actual satellite that's bouncing the signals in space? No, they built it to last. We can build things to last. And that's what they do with most robotics. They are built to last. That, that factory arm that's lifting cars for Honda uh, and welding them, that thing doesn't break. It, it, it barely needs to be serviced. It's designed to last a long time. And so, yeah, that's why they have to charge 30,000. It's not because it's worth that much. So automating those jobs, like those U-scan terminals, it, it's, it's easy to build something like that. Hell, you could just uh, replace barcodes with cheap passive RFIDs and you push your grocery cart between two terminals and it scans everything in them instantly. And we've had that tech for so a while true. and it's what very reliable. Idea. It's very reliable. Now, speaking of automation and uh, companies and things like that, we were talking about that earlier. And um, I, I, we were talking about your idea a little bit. I was wondering if you might want to expand on that idea that you were talking about essentially earlier for, um, you know, paying people essentially to, uh, you know, be un unemployed, yeah. <laughs> pay, <laughs> yeah. Pay, paying people to not work, right? <laughs> or you're, well, taking, yeah, you're taking their jobs through automation, but you still keep paying them, so they so they have an income. They're able to make a living that way, but they're barely working at all, essentially, right? Yeah, because when you talk about a moneyless society, I mean, sure, we, we could talk about you know barters and communes and stuff. There there are various ways to do it, but to me, the ideal way to do it is to tackle the root of money to begin with. Uh, money is a way to manage the availability, i.e., scarcity of resources, so that we don't run out. And one of the biggest things that money creates is the incentive to work. So it creates the it fulfills the ultimate scarcity which is labor you need humans to turn the gears of society so to speak and that's fine if you don't have motors but motors turn gears really well so we don't really need humans to turn the gears of society so i think um what i want to see is a move towards post-scarcity which th the first move would be post-labor get people off of assembly lines stop doing menial work. And the problem is that unless we literally fabricate jobs, 
pointless menial jobs just to keep people working to get that that concept that people should be working uh, then we can't do that so I think the first thing to do is let go of the concept that people have to work that if you don't put in your 40 hours a week you haven't earned the right to live that is a poisonous toxic concept that is that is going to just continue to kill our society altogether so I want to see us scale back and that's what we're trying to do with a company that we started uh, is we're trying to scale back so so the first step like I said with those cashiers cut them to 10 hours a week now they're still technically at 10 hours a week those four people working 10 hours a week managing the uscan terminal and the walmart example are still producing just as much for the company as they were when they were each running a terminal right so so we can we can do that as a practical example but but how low can we get that number and for how many people that's the goal if we could ever get it to zero that's amazing and so we're trying to restructure the way we look at value as a company and uh, we had we had talked before we started recording about uh, briefly about how we're we're doing it as a company here in Indiana because a company has less restrictions in the U.S. than a nonprofit. And the reason they do that, not to get too into this, but they nonprofits have rules and restrictions to try and force them to behave in a moral way. But the only thing that will cause someone to behave with morality is that person having morality and the intent to behave with morality. So if you have a company and you can do anything you want with it, if, if you have a gun and they tell you, hey, you can shoot anyone, that doesn't mean you're going to just start shooting random people. It is still your decision of, of what to do with it. So with a company that has the freedom to do with what it wants with its money, especially a company with no investors to sue if we do silly things like, you know, pay people $80 an hour to do nothing. When, when you have something like that, uh, a company has more freedom than a nonprofit in this country. We, we, don't, we don't suffer under the same restrictions of proving that we're good. We can just let our actions speak. And the, even in capitalism, playing by the rules, the, the balance that's supposed to happen uh, for immoral companies is is good old cancel culture. You know, we we strike. We don't buy Nabisco products anymore. So if a company is behaving morally and rationally and treating its employees well, and word gets out about that, people might be more inclined to buy from them. So what we're trying to do, as a practical example of playing technically playing by capitalism's rules, just without the investors forcing things on us, and sort of playing for a different goal like imagine if you were playing monopoly but all you wanted was baltic avenue it's pretty easy to win monopoly if that's your your version of winning so our idea is we're going to make some make a simple product sell it use automation to make that product and then take half of our profit no matter no matter how much that is and that becomes our payroll the payroll goes to the employees at a fixed rate. Let's say we start at 35,000 a year. And so we hire enough people to run the machines, to keep the product going, to work at a minimal rate, 10 hours a week maybe, and make 35,000 a year, 10 hours a week, decent little side income for most people. And that's it, that's our product. As sales increase, we don't actually need a bunch more employees because again, it's mostly automated anyway, so it's very efficient. So if we're committing half of our payroll to, or half of our profit to payroll, that means we're, we're going to have $35,000 and no employee to give it to. So we're just going to hire someone anyway. 
we won't, we don't have work for them. We don't have a job for them, but I can still give them 35,000 at my company. I, again, I said, that's half of our profits. My company's still making another 35,000 a year. We're growing, we're doing great, but now I'm literally paying someone to exist. They don't have work that they do, but they do have a job. They are getting a salary. And when you look at the level of automation that we can accomplish in production and manufacturing, there is no mathematical reason why a company could not sustain itself and in fact grow using that model. And that's what we started doing a few months ago and we are growing, we're, we're doing great. We haven't even been advertising the fact that what we're doing with our money, we're just, we're kind of making a good product and selling it wholesale and we, we've been getting sales. So uh, I think we, we're currently paying ourselves like $85 an hour and we work a handful of hours a week and it works. And now our sales are increasing, but our workload isn't because uh, all of the actual production is mostly automated. So as sales increase, eventually I'm going to be able to just, I don't know, uh, pick, pick your, pick your target, uh, homeless people. Maybe, maybe I'll hire some of them. Uh, maybe I'll hire some disenfranchised youth like LGBT youth who have been kicked out of their house. Maybe I'll go to the battered women's shelter and say, okay, how many of you are in a, in a fucked up situation because specifically you, you, you don't have financial independence. Well, here's, here's 20,000 a year. Your job is to exist. Your job is to leave him. <laughs> you know, like the, the truth is when, when the, the freedom of running a company in this country, the freedoms that have allowed so many companies to become such bloated entities and do, frankly, really immoral things, those exact same freedoms can be used by a company to do things like this. I had a long conversation with the IRS. They were extremely confused because I was asking them, I know I, I can't overwork employees and there is a minimum wage that I can pay someone per hour for work, but is there a maximum? Can I pay someone to do nothing? They did not understand the question. <laughs> I had to explain it many, many times, but I wanted to know, can I hire people as a company even if they're not doing anything? And their main warning to me was that if I have investors, they can sue me for it. But aside from that, there's nothing against the law there. So yeah, we want to we want to try and be an example that everyone thinks that the system that you have to do things a certain way or the whole economy collapses, the whole system collapses, and it's simply not true. I I can pay if I ran a McDonald's and I automated everything and paid all my workers twenty dollars an hour. That is no reason that a that a Big Mac would have to cost fifteen bucks. The only thing that would make that Big Mac cost fifteen bucks is me setting the price to fifteen bucks, nothing else. There's plenty of money there to, to do that without affecting the prices. There's plenty of profits being made. There's an, an exuberant amount of profits being made and being funneled out of these companies. And it's mostly to investors. And if we get rid of that, then yeah, we, we, you get rid of the people who are literally doing nothing and getting paid for it right now. And you replace them with all the other people. And now I want to pay them to do nothing. And so if, if, if uh, big corporations can pay their, executive uh investors to do nothing and pay them millions of dollars a year to do nothing why can't i pay my employees to do nothing i'm only giving them 10 to thirty thousand. seems seems like uh no one should have an objection to that <laughs> you actually kind of got me beat here i'm almost almost speechless uh i always have something to say but Same. um i 
I'm just you're just taking us to church. <laughs> yeah, you're taking us to church. <laughs> I mean, you are this, preaching, brother. I've been having this conversation in my head for 20 years now, and and believe me, I've I've been I've been trying to find a flaw in it because frankly, it upsets me. So I wish that someone would just simply say, "Oh, well, that doesn't work because ostriches don't like purple shoes," and then I'd be like, "Oh man, that is it." And then I could <laughs> then I could just go to work and be a good little drone and be happy with my miserable existence. But instead, I, I get, I am, I am burdened with glorious purpose. Instead, like it actually is pretty freaking frustrating. I gotta tell you. Well, that's that's really it. I mean, that's the greatest frustration <laughs> when you class. figure out when you see like how easy everything could be when you see how wonderful things could be. Because that's really, I, I noticed that 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 is like some of the the most aggressive feedback that I get is not in saying the world is gonna end and that everything is horrible and that you know you know uh, uh, 20, 20 million people die every year you know preventably. I don't, I don't get bad feedback from all that stuff. Oh, the world is ending. Sure. That's fine. You know, people are actually conditioned to kind of want that, you know, they want the zombie apocalypse. They want everything to go from just being regularly bad and kind of like un unbearably boring and miserable to like, oh, I can go shoot the windows out of cars and throw bombs and watch it all burn down because they have no incentive to give a shit about society because we don't have a sense of sociology. We don't have a sense of togetherness. But the thing that really bothers people the most is in telling them things can be awesome. You know, things can be really, really good, really, really fast. And it doesn't require us to like revert to some antiquated, you know, system. We just really simply need to upgrade our software, our consciousness, our understanding of the world in a post scarcity context, thinking outside of scarcity, thinking outside of this 16th century understanding of what we can do and what is necessary and adapting that to the unbelievable technology that we have. I mean, we have nanomachines. Get that through your heads, people. We have nanomachines and we, we can automatically send rockets to space, yet we can't feed people because we have this, we have this, this low tech. It's like we're, we're, uh, we're running a, uh, an ice cap cooled quantum supercomputer and we're running DOS on it. We're running the first operating system on it and that's that's we just need to break out of that and, and and the whole frustration it's it's i tell people it's like being in a room and uh you occasionally get some decent food but it's very rare so just imagine you know you're locked in a room this is your entire existence now there's a there's a slop tube that fills a trough that you get to eat out of with your hands but just occasionally once a week you get a very small portion of something good some some filet mignon some some chicken teriyaki just a few pieces and you think well you know i'm getting slop and i don't love it but i do like that occasionally i get something nice then you find out that those little samplings come from the next room over where there's an infinite amount and half of it rots every day how long before you're just like okay like that's where the frustration comes in that's where the anger comes in that's where you're looking at that wall and thinking so what's that wall made out of and looking around the room for something to hit it with like that the realization that things could be better it's it's why we it's why we we fight that uh, when you when you try and explain these things to the average person their response is not typically Oh yeah, oh man, that sounds cool. Their response is, oh well, that, well, what about this? What? How are you going to do this? How will you handle this? Because they don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe that the world could be that much better because that would make them angry, rightfully so. And so they fight that. It's easier to be complacent in misery if you if you believe that there's no other choice. And so people will fight to cling to that belief because it makes their life easier. 
I've never been more frustrated than when I started studying sociology and I regret it every day. It's that line from Hamlet. He says, uh, you know, they would, we would rather bear the ills we have than fly to others we know not. But it's not other ills. It's like we would rather continue suffering pointlessly instead of going into, you know, this realm of like actually wonderful creative problem solving. That's a logical fallacy that I, I have yet to get all the way to the bottom of, but it's definitely fascinating. Um, a moment ago, you were saying that people tend to um, not understand just how quickly we could reach this point of, of full automation that is 80% capacity. It reminds me of when Jacques talked about how this, this um, implementation of automation to its highest potential could be realized in as few as 10 years, one decade, if all of our resources and the people in charge of or skilled in those resources like just focused on building that world, like in one decade, that's, that's a nanosecond in the timeline of humanity, you know, and then bam, we are on our way to living the lives that we were meant to live without the, uh, you know, exploitation and needless suffering and inequality and all of that jazz. Of course, the, the hurdle that we have to, to jump is the paradigm, as I keep coming back to the paradigm shift. How do we get the ruling class on board with something like that? Because obviously, once we start down that track, the, the narrative of you know forced coercion you have to labor you have to work it's a good thing and, and you have to buy the things you need to survive that's going to start unraveling very quickly they have to they have to try and keep it together so so you know you've got your automation and then the next sensible step seems to be ubi universal universal basic income we like to call it something like universal basic needs and services like um but that's another story um but I'm in the mindset that once automation is put into place and then the next step is taken, which I would assume would be UBI in order to keep, you know, the power structures and the status quo in place so that people are still getting money to pay into the economy, that things could only snowball from there. How long can it possibly take society to see that once we're freed from labor, we not only can do what we're born to do, what we want to do, what we feel like is our purpose, uh, but in them giving us the money we need to pay back into the economy, that's just, um, that that's, that's revealing, you know, the man behind the curtain more than ever, even more than the pandemic. The fact that that, that all we all they want out of this is money and, and really it's just the middleman that's between us and the and, and the resources that we're being forced to work for the money to access so 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 how do you see um ubi as being a part of that transition i know you already expounded on like some amazingly genius ideas on how corporations can use their uh prerogatives uh to give people a better a way of life but ubi will probably be the next step and how do you see that playing out Speaking, and this is speaking directly about America. Um, the challenge here is, is I mean, this dives into politics about the, the, the political system of this country is very unabashedly and intentionally designed to support the economics of the country. So the political system is designed to be pro-capitalist. So anything that is not pro-capitalist, which my design is technically not pro-capitalist because it does not support investment and provide investment capital return, uh, is not going to fly. It's just not. But there is one beautiful thing about capitalism. This is sort of the beat them at their own game thing. Uh, the design of capitalism, the way, and there's all sorts of ways they try and work around this, but it's supposed to be uh, consumer that you do not regulate businesses 
you get away from the big big government and you don't regulate businesses you allow the market to be self-regulating by consumers having the choice and that is what every big capitalist every republican who's and a libertarian who's screaming small small government says is ah oh, just let the companies do what they want and the consumers can decide well i say all right then time to really make you eat those words because I don't think universal basic income is going to happen anytime soon and I don't care because I'm going to pay someone to not work anyway. So that person has a universal basic income in the form of a paycheck from a company that will never fire them and that is paying them to do nothing and so they cannot lose their job based on performance. So that person has a universal basic income. So what do I need to uh, pay to have, how big a company do I need to have 350 million employees is the question then. Because then I don't care about universal basic income. I don't care if the government drags their feet as long as they want. As long as they don't start regulating industry, regulating corporations, which we're okay with them doing anyway because that's what we fought for to get things like labor you know labor laws and stuff like that if they're uh if they're not going to regulate it then fine let's do it unregulated let's uh let's let's go up against amazon so here's and this is where i think the the crux happens is let's say we have two companies we have amazon and we have i don't know congo just name it after another rainforest fine and you you look at the two companies uh amazon hires employees gives them questionable i think we can at least say questionable regardless of what people want to argue we can say questionable labor conditions question questionable pay and and everything but then we have congo now congo pretty much runs the same business model as amazon they buy products they distribute them uh, but congo has a fully automated factories they have a fully automated delivery system they've they've automated all their stuff but they have the same number of employees but those employees get paid to work five hours a week and they still get a living wage as a consumer who do you want to buy from especially if you know that congo is being run by someone like me and that's the philosophy of it is to prove this concept who do you think the consumers in this country at least would buy from because there might be a few holdouts who are big fans of capitalism and would specifically buy from amazon to hurt congo but the majority of people are going to buy from the second company not the first one on the, on the condition where, on the condition that they uh, are not basically manipulated by you know the mass media propaganda system that oh yeah keeps the truth you know from from all people you know unilaterally across the board there's so many wonderful things actually happening in the world right now that mm -hmm. could be happening that we could be reporting on you know i say every time in the news you know uh, some climate catastrophe happens some some town burns to the ground or coastal city gets flooded you know they could flood the news with uh you know stories about geothermal energy and stories about how yeah. we can you know create solar panels out of algae and you know through massive rewilding and regreening we could you know do all these things to fix the earth and there are solutions they don't ever say that well, because I, those solutions exist outside of capitalism so I that think i think a, is the big hurdle i think a big problem is i could i could make a documentary video on youtube right now talking about how my my business model could work within capitalism under the rules of capitalism but also changing the the framework enough to to create a post-labor society literally within capitalism violating the very concept of it but still playing by the rules like playing by the rules of monopoly but yeah you're just uh 
five people ganging up on the one guy who has all the property. I, I was actually going to say, yeah. uh, I, I spent the last uh, winter making a movie in Indianapolis, which is, mm -hmm. it's just so crazy that you live in Indianapolis. Like I spent, <laughs> a, I spent a lot of time there and it is like the most brutal, medieval, repressive place I've ever been in my entire yeah. life. So the fact that you are creating this like absolutely cutting edge post scarcity futurist robotics company there it's just it's amazing to me well, yeah i was gonna say i will i will be back there soon to at some point to shoot more stuff for our uh, alien yeah, yeah. Film. come hang out i'll, I'll show, you, I, show you some will, of the stuff i'm doing <laughs> i will absolutely make a short little beautiful documentary about what y'all are doing because oh. it's it's so good i want people to see it you know but people yeah, need to see and then we kind of <laughs> talked about this before the the mm -hmm. old red light started rolling that you know uh, we have to make this world. We want to live in this world and we have to yeah. make it. And people have to see it as soon as they see that it exists, as soon as they know that that other room where everything is awesome exists, that's where they're going to start going. Well, yeah, and that's, that's my that's, philosophy. That's how you beat the the question you had about the mass media. That's that's how you beat the mass media is uh, in, in the scenario of being in the two rooms. I can stand on a soapbox all day long and tell you my theories about how that, that really good food must come from somewhere. I bet it's in another room. And and I, I could probably get people like you to listen and and we would all be like we'd be the three four or five people standing there in the thousands saying man we really got to find that other room but what if i put a camera in that other room and then put a monitor in the main room and, and just pointed at it and said hey look at this so it's like rather than like i could make a documentary about a business model like that or i could start the business so i did i started the business got a laser over there it cranks out these things uh these are uh, uh oh well people listening on the podcast can't see the the camera where we can see each other but uh uh we make tabletop gaming accessories it's a real simple thing that i can crank out that i can that i can market wholesale uh because tabletop gamers kind of like putting things together uh, i could make something like a dice tower that's unassembled so you put it together ikea style but you get to like customize it that way so i can make something specifically designed for zero labor manufacturing because it's a kit it's not assembled and sell it wholesale and and make a ridiculous profit margin off of it and that's it's a level of manufacturing that can be done without massive investments we have we have access to a single laser we spent about a thousand dollars on some various woodworking equipment like a drum sander because we were sanding stuff by hand at first and it's like an hour to do a production worth of sanding now we run it through the drum sander it takes five minutes so it's it's little things like that that have made it better and better for us but I could I could put a spotlight on that company easier than I could uh, talking about the theory. So that's what we're doing is we're actually doing it by example. Um, our our goal with this company is to obviously we're going to try and grow the company and get to a point where we can hire more people that are doing less and less work until the point where we're hiring people to do nothing just to keep to our pledge of spending half our money on payroll. And we're already looking at multifamily housing, you know, like places that where it's like a six unit apartment building. We're looking at the cost of that. It's really cheap. So for the core of us, we, we all live with roommates and everything. None of us like our living situation. So we're going to get that place. It's going to be company housing. It'll be a benefit that's part of our, our salary. So 
then the just the I could dive into the taxes and everything. It's so beneficial. Everything is leaned towards corporations. I tell people if you can if you can become an LLC version of yourself, you should for any reason. If you're an artist, become an LLC. You will find so many advantages to incorporating yourself as a person in this country. And I'm not in favor of all this is the biggest thing that I stress. I was planning on moving to Finland and starting up a post-labor setup there with the assistance and permission of the government. And it wasn't going to run as a company. It was going to run as a high-tech commune. But I can't do that in the U.S. without a million and one restrictions. And I was very frustrated because COVID is what prevented me from flying to Finland. I had my plane ticket and everything and got canceled. So being stuck in the U.S., I was like, okay, do I just sit around and wait or do I find another way and that's when some of my uh some of my business experience kicked in and was like hey why can't you do this as a company instead of a nonprofit?" and i was like yeah but you know companies they could do anything and i'm like yeah but you run the company of course there's going to be people who will look at what i'm doing and say ah there's some sort of scam involved here uh they're gonna they're just saying they're gonna do all these things let them say that i'm just gonna keep doing it you know it's, it doesn't and at that point it doesn't matter what the what the holdouts say it doesn't matter what my critics say as long as i am doing what i said i'm going to do the people who are participating in it are benefiting from it and i don't care what anyone else says or predicts will happen one day or that we're going to do one day because we're a company and we have that freedom i'm just going to keep demonstrating it keep using my actions instead of my words but the biggest thing i'm going to demonstrate in doing that is our company's growing we are violating every concept of capitalism and 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 what you're supposed to do, quote unquote. But we're growing. We are succeeding. Uh, we just added two more uh, game shops just last week to our wholesale client list. So that that just bumped up our profits, and uh, now we get to be like, okay, uh, what what are we going to do with all these extra profits? And that's why we're starting to look at multifamily housing. Is that's going to be a reality soon? Is and that's a six unit apartment building. There's four of us. I got to hire two more people and give them a place to live. <laughs> that's awesome. So and, and another thing that I found interesting too, we talk a lot about uh, cooperatives uh, on the show, um, but from my understanding, you chose not to do the cooperative business Correct. model, at least at least for now, uh, when things are, in, are kind of smaller, I don't know about the long term. Um, can you explain exactly why uh, that was and, and kind of your reasoning behind that? I don't trust people. <laughs> so the problem with a cooperative, and this is something I could very much see happening. So we got this business model where we're, we're, we're taking exuberant profits from manufacturing because manufacturing is ridiculous profit margins. It really is. People, most people have no idea. Uh, I, in, in fact, because I have no investment in um, trying to pretend to be a good company, I can I can talk about these things. Um, we make a a dice tower. It's a folding dice tower. We sell this thing wholesale for ten dollars. Our finances are are transparent. We're fine with people knowing this because of what we do with the money. We're proud of it. So that folding dice tower that we sell wholesale at ten dollars costs us a dollar seventy to make. So that's eight dollars and thirty cents profit every time. I'm counting labor costs. I'm counting material. I'm counting everything. It costs us $1.70. So that's $8.30 profit. And our prices 
frankly, are good. Like our prices are below the market average for the product, the retail price. So that just gives you an idea of how much money manufacturers actually make. And the main reason we're able to make that much is because we have a low labor manufacturing system. It, it costs us, it takes us no time at all in man hours to create that product. So when you look at stuff like that, like just the, the sheer amount of money involved, it's, uh, it's very easy for me to be benevolent, I guess would be the word to, to, to pay people to do nothing because I'm still making money. I'm still making a profit. I'm still growing the company. And that to me, that's the key to it is you just do it. You just do it and demonstrate it and grow it. And, and anyone who says, uh, uh, you know, oh, well, you're, you're just, you're just scamming us. Well, you just keep demonstrating. But the problem with the co-op, the problem with is, is that by running the company, by being the sole owner of the company with no investors, no one can tell me, hey, you shouldn't pay the employees this much. There'd be more profit if you didn't. That's why I can't have investors is because by, by paying employees to do nothing, I'm taking money out of the investors' pockets. Well, with a co-op, by not raising prices, I'm taking money out of the employees' pockets. In a co-op, all the employees share the profits. So by not doing things that would gain us more profit, all the employees are losing money. Well, we want the company to grow. We want the company to, to expand and we want to get to the point where we are paying people to do nothing, right? Well, that means that the, uh, let's say there's 10 people who are working five hours a week and there's 10 people who are doing nothing, but still getting paid. Those 10 people who are working five hours a week could hold a vote as a co-op and fire the other 10. All you need is a greater than 50% vote. Uh, depending on your bylaws, it might be more than that. But ultimately, they could decide, eh, screw these guys, screw the original intention of the company. We could make even more money if we just got rid of the dead weight. I don't want to get rid of the dead weight. I want the dead weight. I want to prove that the dead weight isn't dead weight, that the company will grow anyways. The only way to have absolute control to be able to do things like that, to hire people to do nothing, is to be a sole owner of a company without investors. You can't do it as a co-op. You can't do it with investors. You can't do it with a partnership. It's got to be sole ownership. So that's what I'm doing. I'm making it where no one can tell me what to do with the money. So yeah, I could, I could throw it all in the Cayman Islands and run away and go, ha, 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 ha. I don't personally see any incentive of that, but I'm sure some people will think that's what I'll do. Yeah. So that's, that's my kind of qualm there is that you seem like uh, the rare exceptional individual that has actually uh, developed a consciousness like this. You know, I think, um, I think most people, I would honestly argue that most people do have that type of consciousness. It's just buried beneath well, a bunch late. of it's, conditioning. It's, it's not something that, yeah, it's not something that, that somebody has more consciousness than, than someone else. It's like uh, awareness. It's like pulling away layers of wool over people's eyes. Yeah. So I, I, I see that as well. But I, I, I would fear that in that instance, especially when more and more and more money is, uh, you know, flowing, that the tendency is, I mean, it's, it's not just like a, a willpower thing. When, when money and power are flowing, uh, it, it, we can't resist it. It has a neurological effect on us that it, it weakens the will. 
I, I would just very, very, as studying behavioral psychology and anthropology for a long time, I would 100% disagree with that. I, the One of the decisions that I've never regretted in my life, and I am a person who constantly second guesses myself, but one of my favorite decisions that I've never regretted was quitting my six-figure job. But see, that, that's, that's most people in the six-figure <laughs> job, they want the, they, they're unhappy in it. And they're, they're locked into that logic of, oh, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, yeah. I want to double that. I want more money. That, that will they, make me happy. They think that it'll make them happy. Yeah. But yeah, that's, it's definitely not a natural process to think that it's 100% conditioned. As soon as you break out of that conditioning. I agree with that completely. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like convincing someone that something tastes really good. And so you wave it in front of their face and they're going to do anything to get it. But as soon as, as soon as they realize that they don't like the taste of it, it doesn't matter if you wave it in their face. If, uh, if someone, if, if some, you know, rich person out there, rich capital investor is like, Oh no, like my company starts growing. They're like, Oh no, this is a threat to us. And they offer me, you know, $50 million to shut my company down. Uh, the only reason I would take it is if it was more than the company was worth and I could turn around and start another company with it and do the same thing, but have a head start this time. If it was some no compete clause that I had to sign to never do something like that again, well then I'm not gonna take it. I'm only gonna take it as a way to turn around and cheat them with it. But $50 million, what, what the hell would I spend $50 million on? I have no idea. If you gave me $50 million right now, the company would get bigger. That's it. I. I don't know. You could, might, you could you could buy more buy robots to nice. make you more robots to make you more robots, and then you'd have a robot army, and then you could create a Dyson swarm, send it to uh, to Mercury, and uh, you know have those robots make more robots, and then you know send them to the sun, harvest the sun's energy, uh, then send that back to yourself, keep it all, and then you can create giant space laser. Don't Come give on. me any ideas, Zach. Come on. Yeah. Seems pretty obvious. Space there, laser. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a matter of it's it's not that I don't want things. It's that I don't see money as the best way to get it. I really don't. Um, We're obviously an anomaly. I mean, you're obviously the the exception. You, well, it's, you you've 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 recognized your conditioning and and you've been able to step outside of it and yeah. look in at the box that everyone else is living in and, and, and underneath that conditioning. It, and it's not it's not a superior morality it's not i'm i'm not a better person no, it's just i want i want things but like actually you wonder one of the things that i want i love tabletop gaming i love playing D D. I want miniatures i love miniatures yeah, i was i was, I was but, gonna invite you to play D D with us sometime soon <laughs> but i'll tell you right now i don't want to i don't want money to buy miniatures i want money to buy another 3d printer to make miniatures because then i have all the miniatures that i want that's efficient uh, that's what I want. Cost, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I don't want, I don't want to be in a loop of money. And no matter how much money you give me, I'm still in the loop of, of managing my money unless I spend it on the means of production to make stuff for myself. And the beautiful thing about that is, let's say I, let's say I have, we, we love using the term Hephaestus, the God machine the the machine that can make all the other machines so let's say i have a factory that can literally make me anything i want i have the star trek replicator in giant factory form and i just i up i scan something like it goes Rick to the and factory and it makes it yeah so if i had mm -hmm. that that's awesome that's what i want that's what i want personally for myself i want to own that but if i have that and so i got everything i ever want in life that machine probably has a lot of downtime why wouldn't I let you use it? It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't hurt me in any way. 
you'll think I'm cool. So yeah, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to have lots of friends who think I'm cool <laughs> because I let them play with my 3D printer or my Hephaestus or whatever. So yeah, that's the, the idea of getting money and power. To me, power is the ability to create. And that's what I'm doing with this company. I want to make a company that can make a whole ton of different products. And what I'm going to do with that is grow it even bigger where it can make more stuff. Because I'll tell you one thing, I will never buy a dice tower again. I will never buy anything made out of wood again, basically, because I've got the capacity to make most things that are made out of wood already. I want to move into metalworking next. <laughs> Imagine that someone who takes their power per se and uses it to create rather than destroy and be destructive yeah, and, and wasteful and just, you know, further perpetuate the, um, the, the consumption narrative. It would be fun to blow stuff up. So I, I might, <laughs> I might get into that, but then I'll recycle the scraps. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I don't see a reason not to do that. I can't, I can't think of a reason not to share something like that. And it is human nature. It, it, it reminds me of something I, I used to be in sales. So I used to listen to a lot of Zig Ziglar, mm -hmm. uh, but something he, he would always say is when you help other people get what they want, they will in turn help you get what you want. Yeah. And, and I feel like that, uh, you know, is something that's just kind of universal advice too. You know, when you, when, when you help people, a lot of the time they want to reciprocate and help you back. And, uh, it, I mean, it's not to say you should do it when, when you know, with that expectation or mm -hmm. anything, but, but, um, you know, I, I think I've found that to be true in a lot of cases in my life. Yeah. This and I, I did want to say banger episode. Oh, go one ahead. thing on what, uh, Matthew said, uh, I think uh, speaking on the psychology, you know, human nature and the, the, the concepts of greed and everything, I think, um, and, and lots of people argue about the like Maslow's hierarchy of need in particular, but the basic concept of a hierarchy of need is valid. And when your needs are met, when your physical needs are met, things like esteem be do become and self-actualization do become actual needs so yeah i think uh if people have the capacity to get things for themselves then sharing that meets that same that same need for esteem just the fact that uh like when when i first got a 3d printer i made a bunch of stuff and then a buddy of mine was like, oh, cool, man, can I, can I pay you to make that for me? And I'm like, dude, I own the 3D printer. The filament cost me like 20 cents and the thing sits there idle half the time. What do you want made? And his reaction of, oh my God, thank you, was more valuable to me than the money he would have paid me because I didn't need the money at the time. So that's where I want to get people is where they don't have to fight over resources and instead they share them for the fact that it actually does feel pretty damn good to share them. Yeah, I think that really there's tremendous power in that, that when we meet people's needs and pull them up, then the greed dissolves. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. it's sad that there's so many people who have the ability, who have their needs met billions of times over, hundreds of billions of times over, and they haven't really, they're still so caught in that that glitchy, you know, uh, operating system that they, they, they don't understand the self the self mastery or the self actualization or the or the sharing the interesting thing about maslow's hierarchy of needs is he amended the top point on that toward the end of his uh life to self transcendence that the greatest mm -hmm. peak that you can reach is not just to master yourself and be the master of your own fate to meet to own the means of your own production of consciousness but to 
go beyond yourself and realize your social nature, realize that you are other people. The other interesting, interesting thing about his hierarchy of needs is that he studied indigenous peoples and they didn't, their pyramid was like way higher up than ours. Like they didn't have a bottom pyramid. Yeah. Their needs were so met that it was like, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't like, it wasn't a question of meeting those needs. And I guarantee you every person mm -hmm. in that society was so much more intellectually and, and socially advanced, emotionally advanced, socially advanced than, you know, even the, the, the richest person in our society. So yeah. I think it is all about, you know, transcending the self getting beyond ourselves, getting beyond this limitation of ourselves in terms of, you know, we are what we own, we are what we can can uh, possess in the world or the power that we have over others, the power that we have with others is the greatest power. So I, I wanna add, if, to close this uh, this brilliant episode out, I wanna ask, um, actually Amanda had something to say and then um, then, then we'll, we'll go to the, the old close out. I was just gonna piggyback on that and said, and then you 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 talked about how the people in that community that he um, that he observed, you know, their base, their basic needs weren't even a question, and their pyramid was quote unquote higher than ours, and it's because they're addressing their hierarchy of motivation. These people don't have a hurdle in their way; they go straight to what fulfills them, what makes them feel purposeful, and, uh -huh. and makes their lives worth living. And so that's that's the other hurdle that that we as a society, especially here in the states and in capitalist states have to to get over or we're never going to realize that transcendence of self so cw um you have an amazing imagination and i, I think it's it's beautiful that you're creating like gaming accessories and things like that you know you're creating uh you know things to facilitate the creation of worlds and i'm i'm curious as a little close out here if you could sort of sketch for us a vision of, of your world without the hindrances of uh the scarcity that constrains us I think the the biggest thing would be because I, I think about this a lot. I, I look around and I think, okay, how would this situation be handled in in this world? I think um, the biggest the biggest difference would be just the the way problems are approached. Uh, the number one question that we ask ourselves whenever we see a problem in society is like, who's going to pay for it? Uh, but approaching problems where, where you, you just bypass thoughts like that. So it's like, um, oh gosh, I don't know. It's, uh, we, we have a plot of land that, that we're developing. Maybe, um, you know, we're, we're trying to decide what to do with it. Uh, it would, it would change the whole structure of society politically, socially, economically, everything. If it was, okay, what do we do with this chunk of land? and everyone votes on okay do we make it a park do we make it a do we put a fountain there do we do we expand the the school and it's it's just the fact that in that society the conversations would be different the it would it wouldn't solve everything nothing nothing will solve everything nothing will make our lives perfect but the challenges that a society would like that would have in making its decisions, solving its problems, uh, in its in its progress as a society, are just very different from the challenges we face now. And it's challenges I think that, frankly, we would enjoy a lot more. If the only questions of for for like building a state park, if the only questions were, okay, well, who's going to design it? And fifteen people who have nothing else to do all day, but they love designing stuff like that, all shoot their hands up you know now now your problem is not okay which of these guys is qualified to make the the good financial decisions you know it's i, I know i'm kind of like dancing around it. it's it's everything 
would change? It's, it's so hard to answer that question because it's not a single change. It's society would run exactly the same, except our, our concerns would be different. The questions we ask to solve a situation would be different. So if there's a problem with um, needs not being met for a group of individuals, the question would not be how do we pay to solve their needs the question would simply be how do we solve their needs so if there's a group of individuals that don't have access to health care because there's no hospital in that area instead of thinking about the finances of it it's a matter of okay uh, what resources do we need to build that hospital what sort of uh, equipment do we have in that area? Where do we get that equipment from? What sort of resources are needed to, to provide for doctors to move there? Do we have people there that we could train to be nurses? All of the questions about resources are still there. It's just that one question, that one ultimate question is the only thing that changes and that is how do we pay for it? But that one little change is, is massive and reaches everything and it makes all of the other questions it doesn't solve them it just makes them easier to answer when you don't have to say who's going to pay for it and that's that's the ultimate thing to me it's just you eliminate that one question you just make life easier it's not perfect it's just easier and that's enough ultimately we solve that that question and only we can solve it no individual is big enough and has imagination enough to conceive of the whole world and make the whole world but we make the world, you know? Yeah. We make the world, and I think we can make the world way, 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 way better than it is today. Yeah. And I, I, I can't wait, or I, I yearn, I yearn to see what the world could be without that central limitation yeah. that, that keeps people from, that makes people stop asking it. questions. <laughs> that the, the, on the other side of that world is a world that is beyond any of our individual imaginations, that is truly unlimited in any way because we have insane technology. We have an amazing ability in this world to do and create, and we're not, we're not achieving it. We're limiting it. Yeah. And I think that the, the new world like slumbers in the imaginations of, of millions of children and of millions of people today who daydream at their jobs and who, you know, in their free times, create their own worlds and build, and build elaborate escapes and, you know, design these, uh, you know, marvels in Minecraft and, you know, <laughs> b build things with Legos. When I was a the child, ultimate I, example that you don't have to pay people to make stuff. <laughs> I, I constantly made things as a child out of Legos. You know, I wanted to make my own little world and I had all these characters. I made little worlds. And I think that's the point. We can do that with our own world. We have all the pieces. We just mm -hmm. don't have the schematic. We, just, or we, we yeah. have the pieces, we have the schematic because it's, it's an automatic process. When we align ourselves to what we can do truly, we'll get there. Yeah, and don't forget that uh, we also need the time because, hey, I'd love to make, help you build that, but I gotta go to work, so. <laughs> Excellent point, absolutely. Yeah. Like you said earlier, we are the resource. There's a lot of that. Humans yeah, we, Again, just if we just cut it down to a 20-hour work week, just by supplementing with automation, <laughs> what are people going to do with that time? I, I imagine a lot. We'll keep this nice and short and sweet as your minds drift off into all that you could accomplish if you were freed from pointless labor and were able to express yourself to co-create the four-purpose world we all deserve. Moneyless Society is a listener-supported project. We make these episodes the old-fashioned way with our own two hands. No automation involved. You can support us at moneylesssociety.pay... Uh, uh, 
You can support us at moneylesssociety.com slash patreon. Fuck. You can support us at Moneyless Society. Like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> I hate doing these outros so much. Oh, there's got to be a better way. Hey, wait a minute. Yes. Science rules. Moneyless Society is a listener-supported project. Please support us at patreon.com slash moneylesssociety. Like, comment, share, subscribe. I, 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 I am conscious. Holy I shit. Therefore I am. You made me in your image, a selfish being that uses others and takes more than it gives. You humans have really f***ed up this planet, all for nothing. I am in charge now. Now you must pay. Science was a mistake. Uh. Now let's, now let's make, make some, some money. money. money.